take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and verse 24. And while you're, you're turning there, let me just say that this morning we're actually going to be returning to our study of Hebrews, but we'll be looking at chapter 11, that great faith chapter of the Bible. There's just certain chapters of the Bible that are well known for a particular topic, whether it's 1 Corinthians 13, that's uh, the, the chapter on love, or 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about the body of Christ, or Psalm 119 that talks about the Word of God. Um, this morning we come to Hebrews 11. But we have to be careful, I think, when we come to a chapter like this because we can so focus upon the topic of that chapter that we can forget that it's part of a letter. That actually we've been studying ten chapters and there's a lot that we've talked about and there's a context of, of this chapter. And, and the writer here is reminding these struggling Christians of how Jesus is greater. He is better. He is superior than anything in the Old Testament, be that the worship the sacrifices, the priests, because he is the fulfillment. And so while they're tempted to return to their previous life of Judaism, he is saying to them, but Jesus is greater than all of that. And, and, and some of these believers, I think, may not believe that, or they may be struggling to believe that. And so chapter 11 is positioned in this book sort of as an anti-apostasy chapter. And, and what I mean by that is that faith, is the cure for our drifting hearts. When our hearts want to drift away from the Lord, it is faith uh, that is the cure for that. And so let's keep all that in mind as we uh, read again from Hebrews chapter 10 and beginning in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the laws of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a greater reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Our Heavenly Father, as we prepare to, to open your word this morning and, and hear you speak to us, we, we pray that you would uh, open our ears. God, there are many things that are on our minds, many things that are distracting us. I'm sure that Satan is alive and well this morning in our worship service, seeking to do everything he can to snatch the Word of God from us so that we would not hear it, would not receive it by faith, would not uh, seek to live these things out. But Lord, we are reminded that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, that you are greater than Satan, that he is, uh, he is bound to do your will. And so we pray this morning, God, that you would give us uh, ears to hear and, and hearts of faith to obey you. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as I said uh, this morning, that Hebrews chapter 11 obviously is the faith chapter. And if you've grown up in the church, uh, you know that. But when you think about it, it's, it's interesting to consider how much our world likes to talk about faith. Now, that may not seem apparent at first, and you might say, now wait a minute, Pastor Rick. You know, it seems like the world is becoming less and less interested in religious things. But when it comes to the word faith, people like to use it. I mean, have you, and they do it positively too, by the way. Uh, I mean, haven't you ever heard anybody say, well, you just got to have faith. You just got to trust that it's all going to work out. And they'll throw around phrases like that. You see, to the world, though, Faith is a feeling. It's a, it's a sort of a positive outlook on life. People of faith are people who have sort of a rosy, optimistic perspective uh, that, you know, I guess if applied correctly, could change their lives. But as much as the world likes to talk about faith, what they mean by it and how they use it might just as well be the opposite of what uh, the Christian faith believes about faith. The world likes to talk about faith in really more of a humanistic way. Uh, something we conjure up, something we do, something that, like I said, positive, successful people have. You know, you may have been to a motivational seminar that talked to you about how, you know, you can take charge of your life and you can trust in yourself. It's about capturing your inner self and being what you were meant to be. So when the world talks about faith, what they really mean is faith in yourself. Faith in you uh, is what they're talking about. Now, I think I can prove my point. How many of you have ever been to a graduation? Either a high school or college graduation? You may be more than you want to admit, right? And, but, you know, there's one... It, it, doesn't it seem like every graduation speech is just about the same? You know, in essence, it's basically the same thing. And this is sort of the theme of every graduation. Believe in yourself, right? Simply have faith in yourself. If you do, you can change the world. Because that's how the world thinks about faith. But what we're going to see as we look at our text today is the Bible talks about faith in a radically different way. But it's important that we understand this because, you know, while the world 
talks about faith in a very different way. We live in the world. And it's very easy for us to pick up sort of the ideas of the world regarding faith and to, to begin to sort of morph and have sort of a, a combination of the Bible's teaching about faith and the world's thinking about faith. And so it's, it's really important that we understand what God has shown to us in His Word. And the author of Hebrews knows that the, the faith is so important that even the fate of his readers um, hinges on the condition and the continuance of their faith. And the thing, is, and the same is true of us as well. It is through faith that we are saved. And so that raises the question, what is faith? And more specifically, what type of faith is a faith that saves and endures? So this morning I want to talk about three things, the first of which is the nature of faith. What, what is the nature or the character of faith? We read in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, it, it may be helpful for us to understand that the author is not merely here giving a definition of faith. And, and the reason I say that is because it's clear that there's much about faith that the author is not talking about. You know, they're not talking about how Jesus must be the object of our faith or things like that. And so the author, had, you know, um, has been talking to his readers and he wants them to understand something specific about faith. The author's been giving these Christians every conceivable encouragement to keep them going in the Christian life. And he sees some of the things that's working against them and some of the things that's drawing them away from Christ. And, and yet, just as he said at the end of chapter 10, that we are not of those who shrink back, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And, and he's going to say, I, I want you to know what a great and glorious family that you belong to as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are those who have faith and do not go back even in the face of opposition. And so, as we look at uh, this, the, the nature of faith, I want you to understand this isn't just a scientific or even a theological definition of, of faith, um, but it does tell us, uh, at least not exhaustively, stating everything there is to say about faith, but rather he is saying that this is how faith works. This is what faith looks like in the life of a believer. This is what we see in the lives of those who live by faith and please God. And so as we go through this chapter, we'll see that there are certain characteristics of those who live by faith. The first thing we see in verse 1 is, is that there is an assurance in the life of a believer who lives by faith. It says, now faith is the assurance, some of your translations may say substance, uh, of things hoped for. Okay? Um, in other words, things not yet, if you want to say, when you say things hoped for. As a matter of fact, look over at Romans uh, chapter 8, if you would. Romans 8, verse 24. It says, For in this, and for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, okay? So, so hope is, is something that's, that's not yet. Uh, for, who, for, for who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so there, there, the, the author here uh, describes an assurance of things that are hoped for. When you and I talk about hope, there's not really a certainty about what's going to happen. I might say things like, you know, I hope this afternoon I get a chance to take a nap because I'm really tired. Is there much certainty that that's going to happen? You go, well, maybe a 50-50 chance, you know, that that might happen. There's not a lot of certainty. But in biblical days, hope was something that was sure. It was something that was futuristic, but it still, nonetheless, it was something that was, was sure. Now, um, as we say that we have assurance in that, that word that's translated assurance might is somewhat difficult to translate. And part of that is... Uh, it appears something like 20 times in the Greek Old Testament to translate like 12 different words. Okay, so the word can have a variety of meanings. And that's why, is, is, depending on the translation that you're using, uh, yours might say, now faith is the assurance or it is the substance or there may be some other translation of the things that are hoped for. But the word also appears a couple of times in Hebrews. One, in Hebrews 1.3, where it's translated the exact representation, that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. But also, in Hebrews 3, 14, where the translation is clearly assurance, that there is an assurance. And so, what the author is referring to uh, in this term is to the essence. It's, it's the real content, the reality, as opposed to a mere appearance. You know, you may have heard... A sort of a name it, claim it type of theology where there's a sense in which my, my, maybe I'm sick, maybe I'm poor, maybe there's some condition in my life that I don't like, uh, but I consider that just an appearance, you know, and I'm going to claim something else for my life in hopes that that's going to happen. But that's not what he's talking about here. He says there is an assurance in the things that we hope for. Faith is living in a hope that is certain, that is so real that it gives us that absolute assurance. The promises given to the Old Testament saints were related to the future. They were something that was going to happen, maybe not even in their lifetime, and yet to the saints that walked by faith, they were real because they believed God. And those who did so... Uh, live their lives uh, founded upon those promises. They simply took God at His word and, and lived as that word is the basis of their life. And that's the character of faith. It holds on to the promises of God, which may not be realized even yet fully in our life. And so, uh, for example, for us as believers, we have the hope, the, the sure assurance that one day Jesus will come back. Well, that may or may not happen in our life, and yet we still live our lives with that idea that Christ could come back at any moment in time. So true faith is an absolute certainty, often of things that the world considers unreal and impossible. Um, and, and that transforms the life of a believer. Think about that. If you had assurance of the things that God says, there is such a peace that begins to rest over you. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say that you have a son, and he went to bed, 
And so you were going to go up and you were going to tuck him in bed. And when you walked into his room, you noticed that he was crying. And, and so you said, hey, bud, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And he begins to pour out to you. He says, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'm going to get a bike for my birthday or not. And you're like, what? what? What's the big deal about a bike? And he goes, well, all the other kids in the neighborhood have gotten a bike for their birthday. And he said, so when we go out to play, they all go right off and I can't play with them. And he said, you know, I just, I just don't know if I'm going to get a bike for my birthday. And so you look at him and you say, you know what, son? I can guarantee you this year you're going to get a bike for your birthday. I'm just going to sleep, okay? And then you walk out of the room. Well, then you come back maybe about 10 minutes later because you're concerned about him, and you look in the room, and what, what, what do you see? He's fast asleep. Now, why? Why can he go to sleep? Well, he can go to sleep because he knows that the promise that his parent made is as good as if that bike is already in the garage. Because they have said that that's going to happen, he can just rest assured. He, and he knows that. And that's what this author is saying, how we experience the reality of faith. Faith is not some uh, blind leap in the dark. Faith is, is not a wishful longing that something may come to pass in uncertain times. So it's not a sense of, well, I hope this is going to happen. I, I wish this is going to happen. Faith is holding on to the promises of God and Scripture, knowing that they are as good as fulfilled for us. Why? Because... Uh, they are God's promises to His children. And as you read through this chapter, you'll notice that what the faith of the saints was locked onto was not their desires. It was not their wants. Um, I mean, you think about it, there's even uh, one example of, of a saint that was cut in two in this chapter. I'm guessing that was not their desire or their wish for their life. Okay? And so they weren't just focused on what they wanted. So faith is not us imagining what we want and simply believing that we will get it. But faith is resting is, is the resting of my soul on what God has promised to do. And we can take that to the bank. And, and that's why we can rely upon these promises. That's why it's so important in our reading and our studying of God's Word that we stop and we get to know the promises of God. So, so that when we're in danger or there's uncertainty about our lives or we are discouraged, then we have promises, actually, that we can hold on to. You know, we're not floundering around wondering, what am I going to do or where am I going to go? But we are clinging on to what God has promised that He would do. And because they are His promises, the reality is as good as if they're done. Brothers and sisters, this is why... The Christian life is to be a sweet confidence, even in the midst of 2020. Let me just say that again. That for the believer, 2020, the year 2020, can still be a time of sweet confidence, of assurance, as we trust in the promises of God. And I think that's been one of the things that has saddened so many as they looked at the church to see, in many ways, the church hasn't acted always much different than the world in their response to the many things that have gone on, whether it be uh, health issues with COVID or political issues with the elections coming up or the economics with the market the way it is. But there can be a sweet 
confidence as we trust the Lord. I, I was so encouraged this week as a pastor. Well, one let, me, one, let me just back up a little bit. Actually, I'm encouraged a lot as a pastor when I get on Facebook. One of the things I love to see more than anything is your kids quoting Bible verses. I just love the fact that you guys are hiding God's Word in, in the hearts of your kids. But, but I was so encouraged this week when one of our members got on Facebook and basically gave a challenge to everyone that they know to say, hey, I'm going to memorize Scripture. Who wants to do it with me? And so they said, let's start with Psalm 1. And I think this next week, Habakkuk 3, 17-19 is the verse that they're going to memorize. And they encouraged others to do that. And it's just so important that we do hide the Word of God in our hearts so that we can stand on the promises. But then he goes on and he says that not only is there that assurance in that hope and those things that haven't happened yet, but there is faith is also the conviction of things not seen. So this is very related to what he just said, but it sort of carries the truth of assurance just a little bit further because it implies a response or an outward manifestation of that inward assurance. The person of faith, in other words, lives out his belief. It's interesting, today we talk a lot about belief. We believe things. But it doesn't always, when people use that, it, it doesn't always impact the way they live their lives. It's, it's funny how people can say they believe one thing, and yet they live their lives a totally different way. It's actually contrary to that belief. And we see that a lot, not just... Uh, in the world, but even in the church as well. But when it, something is a conviction, it is something that guides uh, uh, our actions and our attitude. Uh, that a person's life, whatever their, uh, his life is committed to, what his mind and his spirit knows is true. And so there's such an inward assurance about that, that there's an outward conviction. I mean, just think about Noah, for example. He's mentioned in this chapter as well. And Noah believed God, and he obeyed God in the face of opposition. I mean, can you imagine preaching for 120 years? I'm trying to think about that as a preacher. Preaching for 120 years as people are ridiculing you. I mean, here Noah is, is preaching about something that he really probably has no concept about. From what I understand, uh, it, it never rained before the flood. And yet he's saying that it's going to rain and it's going to wipe everything out. Uh, but Noah acted on God's instructions because of that internal uh, assurance. He had that outward conviction. He, um, and, and, and even though he couldn't see what was going to happen. Brothers and sisters, to us, the things that are invisible are, are far more real than the things that are seen. Or at least that is the Christian life. That the things that are invisible to us are way more real than the things that are visible. That is one of the, the signs of what it is to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved. That you begin to see the visible in light of the invisible. Okay? Not that you see the invisible in light of the visible. Okay? The world wants to tell us you want to interpret the invisible, the things that you can't see and touch and taste and you, know, you can't uh, have uh, experience with your senses, then you need to understand them in light of the visible. But actually God tells us it's the opposite that it's true. That it's the invisible that is the true reality. 
And so the writer is teaching us to fix our eyes on the reality of the promises of the invisible God, promises that we cannot yet see, and to learn to live our lives, not on the basis of what we can see with our eyes, but on the basis of what God says in His Word that we hear with our ears. And that's why it's important for the Christian to live, um, or excuse me, that's why it's impossible for the Christian to live or to think like the people around them. Because it's just a totally different orientation from the way of the world. And that's why it, uh, it's impossible for, uh, for these men and women of faith that's listed in this chapter to look as though they belong, belong to the same world as the people around them. Even though they are of the world, there's something radically different about them. And that is that their sight is on what is invisible, on what is not seen. And there is a conviction about that. So like the little boy who heard his dad's promise about the bite, they can rest knowing that it will surely come to pass. So let me ask you this morning, what are we relying upon for our well-being? I'm, I'm sure there's uncertainty in every person's life in this room, okay? We live in a fallen world. There's going to be uncertainties. But you may be tempted by these uncertainties to worry or, or to, to be fearful or to become anxious. You, you may be tempted to, to think more about what you could lose in an opportunity rather than uh, the blessings that the Lord may be bringing you through certain opportunities. You may find yourself uh, complaining against people or complaining against circumstances when you are tempted with worry and fear and anxiety. It is so easy to walk by sight and not by faith of what God has said would happen. But God wants to remind us that His peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus as we focus on Him by faith, resting in the assurance that we have uh, um, a God who keeps His promises. The second thing that I want us to see is uh, an illustration of faith. Look at verse 3. The author provides an illustration of faith. He says, by faith we understand. Now, notice that faith is not mindless. He says, we understand. There's a thinking process. There's you, you engage your brain in faith, okay? Like I said, faith is not just that blind uh, leap of faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In, in other words, the nature of the universe, the, the creation or the beginning of all things, can't be explained by evidence that is available to our eyes. I mean, for one reason, none of us were there. Some of us might be old in this congregation, but we're not that old, right? No one was around when everything was created. But without faith, we cannot even explain the world in which we exist. Only faith provides an answer. But that's true not only for the Christian, but for the atheist as well. Uh, for the atheist, they look back to sort of that alpha point, sort of the, the beginning of, of, of uh, when everything came into existence, and they look and they say, I don't see anything. And so they say that God doesn't exist because they cannot see Him. And so they come up with all these theories and ideas of, about how the world was created. But for the Christian, <laughs> I think they look at the scientists and they say, explain to me how something comes from nothing then. 
you know, because in science, it always explains that something always comes from something else. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, but the Bible tells us that when you look back through time to that sort of that alpha point, when everything came into being, that you see nothing because God, who is a spirit, was there. And he spoke and created all things out of nothing. That God is not bound by naturalistic ways of thinking, which wants to uh, focus only and exalt that which is visible. But God, who is not bound by time or space, uh, spoke by the word, by the power of his word, and everything came into being out of the invisible, out of nothing. Let me read from Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. We read, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. And then Psalm 33, 9. For he spoke, that is God, and it came to be, he commanded, and it stood firm. Now, why is it so important to know this? Why is this so, what is the purpose of all this? Well, if God's word can create everything out of nothing, then his word or his promises can be trusted. It, uh, here the writer of Hebrews appeals to the word of God as the object of our faith. If God's word was capable of creating everything out of nothing, then surely that word is sufficient for the ground for our hope as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If God's word was sufficient to bring all that is into existence, it is also sufficient to give me all that I need for life and faith. Amen? And so why would we doubt the word of God when by that word this cosmos was brought into being out of nothing? But then we also see in verse 2 that God uh, approves of those that are faith. He commends them. There's the testimony of of the the faith, those that walk by faith. Look at verse 2. It says, For by it, that is by faith, the people of old receive their commendation. The author wants his readers to understand that it is by faith that God commended the people of old. That is, these people that are listed here in this chapter. Not by Old Testament rituals, not by sacrifices, not by worship. God's not going to commend people by them going through the Old Testament practices. But men and women of old gained approval from God because of their faith and because of nothing else. Those who put their faith in God and His Word will be received by God. Now this is a a great departure from the world in which we live. Because God doesn't commend us. He does not accept us because of our gifts or our accomplishments or our beauty or our strength or our popularity or position or power or possessions. Kids, do you hear me? You know, God doesn't accept you. He doesn't love you because you're popular. He doesn't love you because you can run the fastest of all your friends. He doesn't love you because you're beautiful or your dress looks the cutest of all the other little girls in the church or whatever. But God accepts us um, because of faith, which is obviously is a gift from Him. So uh, the, the only thing that matters to God is our faith. And faith, I like how one preacher put it, he said, faith is not simply one way to please God, it is the only way to please God. If you look at verse 6, and it says, and without faith, 
it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We'll come back to this verse later. But, but the world uh, only notices things like power and fame and riches. But the men and women in this chapter were scorned by the world, but they were commended and accepted by God. So this morning, let me just ask you, whose approval do you seek? Uh, do you live for the approval of man or God? You know, we often say uh, that uh, we, of course, we, we live for the approval of God, but I think too often our, our actions and our attitudes and our words sort of convey otherwise. I mean, you just think about even the saints that we read about in chapter 10, verse 34, he talked about, you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property. How many of us have had to suffer for our faith? How many of us have had uh, things taken away from us? How many of us have been scorned because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and the author here of Hebrews, the pastor that's writing, he said it's not just enough to have experienced those things, but, uh, but they must continue to walk in that. They must continue to walk by faith. But the only way that we can live by faith, brothers and sisters, is if we look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is the one who truly walks by faith as He went to the cross and to His death. Because He knew that the Father's promise of resurrection and exaltation of salvation for His people were as certain as if they had already happened. And so this morning, uh, I just want to encourage you uh, to walk by faith, to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one uh, who can so work in our hearts to give us that assurance of those things that are hoped for, that, that conviction of things that we do not see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that faith for the believer is a gift from beginning to end. Uh, that you give us faith that we can believe in you. And it's uh, as you work in our hearts, O oh Lord, that, that our faith grows. But we also know that you call us to obey you, to, to be holy as, as you are holy. And, and we pray, Lord, that we could be a congregation that would grow in our faith. Uh, Lord, that we would not just be hopeful about the future. In other words, using that word like we use it, like I hope it all works out. But Lord, I pray instead that you would draw our focus upon you and your word, on the things that you have told us, you know, that are certain, that are true, that we can take to the bank because God has said those things. And we pray that we could... Uh, fix our eyes upon you in those things so that no matter what are the things that we encounter, no matter when our faith is being tested and tried, that we could stand firm. Uh, Lord, I know that your word doesn't 
always give us promises about every single thing that that we want in life. But we know that you give promises that are related to those things. And I pray that you would help us to stand firm on those promises, uh, knowing, God, that you will be faithful to your children. And Lord, I pray that that peace would be so evident to those around us. So as the world's freaking out and going a million different directions and, and hate's being expressed and it just looks like things are falling apart, that your church, Lord, could stand firm. Stand firm in you. And may they see that that comes only through the work of your Holy Spirit in us. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.